So I'd like to um, welcome everybody to this uh, first uh, Dhamma talk of our retreat and uh, just thank all of you for, you know, all of you are, um, you wrote such wonderful things. Um, That was really helpful. So thank you for filling out the answers to the questions and sending pictures. I feel like... um, being able to look into your eyes and the photos and get the felt sense of you and the visual images have been really helpful, but also to hear what you've been going through, um, what you uh, are hoping for or not hoping for. It was very helpful, so thank you. And I just wanted to say that for me, this is all so new after a, a 39 years of teaching through a kind of um, very physical kind of presence of people that uh, the feeling of uh, wondering how disconnected it would feel uh, was really helped by your, the answers to your questions and the visual images of all of you. So thank you. And I hope it um, can feel as connected as we can be. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to really keep going deep inside into our hearts and know the heart is boundless, the mind and chitta is boundless, so that we can all right now, you know, just find that attunement with each other right now. And the the kind of um, joy that we're all together and practicing together. It's quite moving, so thank you. And, and remember to receive it, to receive as we're going through the Dhamma talk, through the day, the guided metta, guided instructions that we um, keep remembering to ground with our hands, the attention connected with our hands right now, the sensations in our hands, our feet. It's that remembering, as Jesse said this morning, it's the remembering to keep coming back Keep coming back, keep coming back to our body, back to our body, reconnecting. So practicing at home, I think, you know, there's these slight differences that practicing um, at a retreat center, practicing at home. And I wanted to address that right way. This could have been done at the end, but uh, there is a great uh, uh, phrase of the metaphrase is the last one. It's suki atanam pariharantu. I could give a whole talk on that phrase, uh, but it means, may I experience the goodness. It's so beautiful. May I experience the goodness of taking care of myself. And you can add in others. So it's like, may I experience the goodness. So that means you receive the goodness of taking care of yourself and others. And I think at-home practice is so um, valuable because it helps us really look at what we value. Like when, do we value paying attention to brushing our hair, brushing our teeth, doing the dishes, cooking? I, I like to look at when I walk through a hallway, do I value that as much as when I'm sitting or when I'm doing walking meditation? Uh, I have done a lot of self-retreats at home, and I find it 
continuing continually deepens and transforms my experience of being at home and often we're so busy at home that we're really literally on automatic pilot kind of getting through I'm great at this getting through of doing the dishes so I can get to what's so much more important which is the work on the email or something right it's like getting through this getting through that so I can do this so I can even pet the feral cat outside, right? It's, it's, it's all um, looking at what we rush through, what we don't pay attention to, and what we tend to value, and starting to question that and, and take the time to walk through wherever we are, eating, whatever we're doing. Um, and, and it could be that you have to go through some boredom. Um, if you're in the home all day, day after day, slowing down, practicing. It's okay to be bored. You know, it's okay to be mindful of boredom, be really aware of the physical sensations of your body, how the mind feels, and to know the boredom is important. And also a very, very um, useful experience to go through. It's what we have to go through to go deeper, what we go through to go deeper. Deeper meaning, more fully present, more energy for what's happening in the present moment. And I just also want to say, because I've done so many self-retreats at home, it's almost like I've trained my neighbors um, to, to check with me if I'm in silence or not. Not all of them, but a lot of my neighbors really respect my silence. Uh, it took a while. And some don't, and the ones that don't, I don't have a problem. I don't tell them I'm in silence. I just keep the conversations short or shorter uh, if they start talking. And uh, mostly I'm doing loving kindness practice for the people in the houses, for the animals, for the clouds, for the sky. Um, so just to remember that the walking meditation, if you're, if you're not doing slow walking inside or around your house, but wherever you live, you can start by sending metta to the earth, to the sky, to the trees. Um, you include everything. So it's, this is part of the Sukhi Atanam Pariharantu, the taking care, taking care, taking care, and experience the goodness of that. And also just, um, there's quite a range of people of, um, in this retreat of experience. So just to know that um, we will be speaking to and giving instructions to a range of um, experience. So the um, basic definition of Vipassana, of um, seeing things clearly, th- seeing things just as they are, being with the nature of how things are, or just as they are. Nature, nature, nature. And in this definition, nature is not any kind of embellishment or fabrication or past ideas about how things are, but really uh, shifting from a a conceptual um, framework of how things are to a moment-by-moment, present-moment-by-present-moment, non-conceptual experience of how things are. 
And of course, all the talks and all the instructions are sort of aiming toward um, us not rejecting the conceptual level, as Jesse was talking about this morning. Um, if there's a sound, say the sound of a bird, we might be receiving the textures and vibrations of the sound, and a thought might come, oh, that's a, um, maybe where you live, it's a warbler, or oh, that's a sparrow. Um, whatever the, the word about the experience, the, the concept, the concept is bird or uh, sparrow. But the direct experience is the moment-to-moment-to-moment -to -moment -to -moment awareness of the textures and vibrations and receiving them and noticing them change. And we shift, which we don't always notice, but we're shifting already without noticing it often. We're shifting from conceptual to non-conceptual moment by moment. But this practice gives more space to actually let the attention drop into the non-conceptual, drop into the non-conceptual, so you're including it and valuing it as much as the um, past definitions or ideas about it. So ultimately, the Vipassana practice moves toward, you know, starting with um, easier uh, experiences, such as hearing, or body sensations, the movement of the breath, and then we gradually include everything. It, it, the mindfulness practice is meant to include everything that appears in this universe. Sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, thoughts, emotions, everything in the body and mind. If you're new to self-retreat at home, another reminder is just that the Dhamma is everywhere. The truth is everywhere. This is one of the things my, um, one of my root guru, my root teacher, Deepama, told me many years ago. Uh, she said, the Dhamma is everywhere. It's at home, it's at a retreat, it's at work, it's everywhere. The truth is everywhere. And the Dhamma is, it holds us, it holds us through all the uh, ups and downs, the range of pleasant, unpleasant, joy and sorrow, pandemic. I um, will probably be stressing um, impermanence in this talk, but also the other two aspects of existence that the Buddha um, said were the three truths of existence. So the Buddha taught that uh, if you start really paying attention to what's happening in the present moment directly, not through the thought process, Right? not through past ideas, but through your own direct experience of reality, that if you connect your attention with what's happening in the present moment, that you will come to understand these three basic truths of existence itself. And the first is anicca, impermanence. 
that no matter where you look, no matter how far or how close, how distant, how microscopic or macroscopic, that whatever appears will disappear. All conditioned things are arising and passing away. Understanding this brings the greatest kind of happiness, which is peace. So we're, we, we come to understand as we understand deeper and deeper levels of um, the aspects of impermanence. We come to understand that when we're connected with that truth, we're protected, we're safe, we're, we're not um, believing that we can control reality, that we're not believing that something is permanent when it actually is impermanent. So we don't suffer because of impermanence, we suffer because we believe things are permanent. And as I said, I think mostly, we'll see how it goes, mostly this talk will be about anicca or impermanence. But the Buddha taught that the next two truths of existence, the truth of dukkha, and the truth of anatta are related. They're all related. They're, they're so interrelated, sometimes um, it's hard to uh, separate them. But it's because everything's impermanent that there is dukkha, the truth of dukkha. Dukkha um, is hard to translate without a lot of words. Impermanence is easier, but the, the truth of dukkha um, for now, let's just call it the unreliability of experience. And, and we get, again, we see how related it is to anicca. It's because things are impermanent that experience is unreliable. We can't totally depend on experience. And then it's uh, because of impermanence and unreliability that there is anatta. Again, I think anatta might be the most um, require the most words to describe. Atta means self, anatta means no self. It means that no matter how hard you look, again, microscopic, macroscopic, that um, you can't find a solid, separate self. One of the things that I want to address in terms of anatta today is that because of that, there is this uncontrollability, that we can't, there is, we can't control experience. Um, nothing exists by itself, and there's this deep uncontrollability of experience that, um, again, it, it's, it's, we have to always fall back on the dukkha and fall back on the anicca to really grasp anatta that there's this exquisite vulnerability to experience because it, on a profound level, uh, no moment lasts. A, a, a moment is so fleeting that it vanishes so quickly that, that there's anatta right there, but there's anicca and dukkha, right? It's like, it's so, it's so quick. It's disappearing so fast, you can't find something solid there. And, and so it's uncontrollable. So I'd like to um, read a poem by a poet named Saigyo, a Japanese poet. Um, he was uh, 
Basho, the great haiku master, it was his favorite poet. He kind of set the uh, way for a lot of the uh, Japanese poets, especially the haiku po poets that followed him many centuries later. He lived um, 11, he was born 1118. And just, I wanted to give you a little background because it's so important. He um, lived at a time, it was like the dying end of a glorious era, the Heian period in Japan that lasted 450 years. It was this great, glorious era that um, he, was, he was born at the time of a total collapse of that society. He lived in very troubled times. Um, he, he went to... Um, I think he left in, at age 22 to be a hermit monk. Um, and it's said that the loneliness he suffered was like a long and recurring illness. And, and many people in the um, answers to questions we offered uh, wrote about the loneliness that they've been experiencing in the lockdown. Not everybody, but a lot of people have mentioned this loneliness. Um, and so I wanted to read this. It's, it's one of the, you know, my old friends, this poem. A world without the scattering of blossoms, without the clouding over of the moon, would deprive me of my melancholy. So I, I don't often go through every poem, but I wanted to mention a world without the scattering of blossoms, what is that, right? A world without a Nietzsche, without impermanence. A world without the scattering of blossoms, without the clouding over of the moon, would deprive me of my melancholy. So here we know of him that he suffered such deep, like an illness of loneliness, and that he eventually transformed that to valuing it so much <laughs> that he valued the melancholy, you know, that, that, that he transformed his understanding of it. You know, it's so beautiful. And he found um, profound depths of awakening, of peace in nature. That was his initial path. And I wanted to um, touch base on that you can look at a Nietzsche from two different interpretations, from um, a soft interpretation and a hard interpretation. And I'm mentioning this because we're going through a period like Saigyo did, which was a very, um, a lot of upheaval. Uh, and that, that is the hard interpretation. Most of, um, most of us humans like the soft interpretation. That would be the scattering of the blossoms. So if you, if you think of sitting by a stream and watching a beautiful leaf fall into the stream and float by, and you get this kind of um, soft, gentle experience of the acceptance of change and the acceptance of loss, that, that tends to be soothing, and it helps us to appreciate 
say, the seasons of nature or the clouding over of the moon. And we need that. We need that so much. I think right now, again, if you look at the answers to the questions you all offer to us, nature has been such a support during this um, pandemic time. And it's not just the pandemic time. I just have to mention it's a time of um, a lot of social unrest. And um, it's, it's very difficult for people, all of us. So when we are in uh, the, the seasons of nature and a more predictable, benign rhythm, the rhythms of nature that make it easy for us to accept a Nietzsche, you know, that can be really, um, again, soothing and helpful. But there are times like an earthquake or a volcano or a hurricane or a pandemic or, you know, uh, maybe unemployment, <laughs> you know, just, I, I could go on and on. You know, there have been people that had to die in hospitals without anybody there. I have a dear student whose mom is in a nursing home and um, was dying, and she had to wave to her goodbye in the window from the parking lot. You know, these are really difficult situations. These are the hard interpretations of Anicca. So the soft interpretation tends to feel like you can keep threatening things still at bay, right? Like it's like it's soothing. And when the hard, hard, uh, hard things come, you know, we can feel a lot of doubt in life itself. That it's so painful, we get overwhelmed by the pain in the world. And often we we need to retreat to the softness of nature. Uh, as well as the hardness of nature, to, to come to terms again. It helps us accept, accept change. So we've shifted with a, to, you know, for a lot of people, this like a little bit of uncertainty, and at times more or less uncertainty, to a time where there's a lot more people on the wor- in the world experiencing a lot more uncertainty. Um, and I think that for me, the last few months, it's most of my practice when it, you know, the first lockdown started to happen, um, and so many of my friends, you know, were having a hard time, um, family friends, that I, I could feel that resistance to the, just the uneasiness. You know, there, it's like there was like this bottom line, bottom line of uneasiness. And when I was, um, able to do it, it felt so, um, such a relief to just accept the uneasiness. Rather than to make ease happen, the ease was coming through just, oh, uneasiness, uneasiness, until it felt like the kind of ground I was walking on, uneasiness, uneasiness. And of course, the practice um, is this, this deep, profound uh, understanding of Anicca, um, the impact of that, when we're on retreat particularly, is that we see that, I love this phrase, never again this moment. Never again this moment. And there, there, that can bring about a sense of um, 
dissatisfaction or like wanting to get something or wanting to get rid of something. We see that the first few days of retreat, we're wanting more, we're wanting to get rid of, but there's that sense of dropping into the bottom of our feet with our attention, feeling the softness, the hardness, the smoothness, the anchoring there. And then maybe we go to our hands, the breath, stand there for a while, and we just really come back to just being. Just We can be just knowing we're walking, knowing we're standing. Right now, you, you're listening to the words, but also knowing you're sitting. Um, during my self-retreat last month, uh, um, I was rereading a lot of my old friends, the Chinese and Japanese uh, hermit monks or hermits. This is uh, from Stonehouse, 14th century, Stonehouse. Don't think a mountain home means you're free. A day doesn't pass without its problems. Old ladies steal my bamboo shoots. Boys lead oxen into the wheat. Grubs and beetles destroy my greens. Boars and squirrels devour the rice. When what happens isn't what you expect, forget it and turn to yourself. Um, This poem emerged uh, into this uh, talk because so many people wrote in their answers about things like this. And so I just wanted to say, you know, you can do everything you can to set aside the time for retreat and um, maybe be even the last months of stay-at-home lockdown. Uh, But it's like, it doesn't mean that we don't have problems. It's like you can um, go on retreat for two or three months and every day, there's something else happens. It's like, um, there's always something, right? And so what does that teach us? It teaches us that there's an expectation or an agenda for how things should be. And I find that for all of us that have practiced for some time, that it's a gradual lowering of expectation. And we see that expectation or agenda it will actually kill connection. And it tends to create so much doubt in us that we don't even see it's hidden. It's a hidden expectation of how things should be, whether it's this like global, how things should be happening on the earth or climate or politics or how things should be happening with our breath or our body. Um, it's, it's always comes down to, well, what is happening? versus what I want to be happening. And the bigger that gap is between what is happening and what we want to be happening is, the more we suffer. And of course, this takes um, so much compassion. I talked with my sister the other day, and and she is um, very homebound. She was homebound way before the pandemic hit with a lot of physical health issues. Um, 
and she said she just she feels helpless almost every moment and uh, it's so um, intense if you don't have that teaching on compassion that the Buddha taught the Buddha taught that it is the experiencing of the overwhelm in the face of the helplessness we feel with the suffering that can be the proximate cause for the appearance of compassion. And this is so important. It's like our acceptance of pleasure or acceptance of neutral and then the acceptance of pain, when that's complete, there is ease. There is ease of well-being. There, there can be a sublime contentment when we understand there's this range of joy and sorrow and neutral, pleasure, pain. Uh, that's the human world we're born into. But when we aren't accepting pain, Oh boy, we suffer, and that resistance, that saying no, 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 and we disconnect and disconnect, and the more we disconnect, the more we suffer. And when we don't understand this, of course we have doubt in ourselves, others, the world, life, Um, and this is one of those times where um, we have to protect ourselves from too much painful news, for example. And we have to get enough rest and space to be interested in pain again at times. So this um, teaching on caring, the ability to, maybe we can't be mindful of the pain, maybe we can't bring the attention to connect directly with the pain, but we can witness the pain with this great care. And the care feels pleasant. And of course, we are going to go into more about how to do this as the retreat goes on. But just to remember that um, I don't think there's any better time than right now to practice compassion. It's like sometimes I just have that feeling of the whole earth in my heart, just like that beautiful marble, green and blue, and all of us on this planet together. And we all have this very deep karma of being together on this planet. Or maybe we narrow that down to all of us sitting here on this retreat, listening to the Dhamma talk, connect with our body, mind, heart. And can we care about any pain that any of us are experiencing right now? in our mind, heart, body. And you don't, again, the attention doesn't have to go zeroing in on the pain like a laser beam. You can open up the attention around your body or the space around your body and just care. there's any Sadness. I mean, so many people are experiencing grief these days. Or maybe you have a a tightness in the right hip or chronic pain in the head, the back of your neck or something. You know, it does it. It's physical, mental. Uh, Or maybe you are not in any pain, but you know 
someone in your family or a friend is having some anger. Whatever it is, it's like compassion, compassion, compassion. There's a book um, by a great teacher, Suzuki Roshi, where um, he talked about mindfulness as soft readiness. So the awareness is, the awareness of whatever is happening has this quality of soft readiness. Readiness implies that we understand that anything can happen. And soft readiness means that there's also this understanding, there's enough understanding, enough wisdom for there to be flexibility. We need flexibility moment by moment to um, connect with this constant change without controlling it, right? Most of us want to show up for change, for how things are changing, if we can control it if we can get rid of something or get something, but to be able to really just be there, right, with that flexibility, with not knowing what's going to happen next. This is, this is the predominant theme of these last months, is that uncertainty and that, that feeling like we don't know. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to cause so much havoc. Is there going to be more, sur- are there going to be more surges or not, right? How much unemployment can the, uh, just our country hold, never mind in the world? How many deaths, right? How many medical workers will call the retreat where I thought that I was going to have um, kind of some days of quiet and it had really narrowed down. Um, so I was sort of like, Ah, yes. Something happened. Oh. I didn't do anything. Yeah, it was great. Let me just see. Do you know when I stopped? Two seconds ago. Oh, okay. Thanks for... It's okay? I think I'll start with my story again. Does that sound right? Yep. Okay. So, anything can happen, right? The sound can stop and we start again. So, um, what I was saying was that I was trying to do the self-retreat. I don't know where it ended. So, um, I was trying to do the self-retreat. Uh, it's just never stopped um, getting interrupted. But I finally hit this point where I thought, oh, good. It was that feeling like, oh, it was so intensely pleasurable that it seemed like everything was taken care of and I was only going to get to do this silent retreat. Um, And I went for a walk that morning and I went up to this little hill that I can look over the whole neighborhood um, and I saw this explosion of smoke. um, And I was like, oh, what's that? So I went 
kind of walking very fast down the hill across and over to where I could look at that. I couldn't see where it was coming from. And this fire started. It was um, really, really fast, this fire. Like, it was so scary. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. That this, And it turned out later we found out, the neighbors and I found out, that a transformer had exploded at the power station at the bottom of the hill. Um, but at the time, you know, before fire engines came, you know, it, it was just watching. And uh, I live in the desert, but there's a lot of brush, a uh, lot of grass, sorry, a lot of dry grass, because it is the desert and it's very dry at, uh, right now. So watching this fire come up the hill, I learned a lot about fire. It tends to come uphill uh, with updrafts of wind very quickly. And when the fire, the fire, this fireman came and was uh, with some of us standing overlooking this fire moving up the hill, um, I looked at him and I said, this looks really bad. And um, he almost started crying. And he said, if the bulldozers don't get here, he said, we called the bulldozers, but if they don't get here soon and if the helicopters don't come, that can, um, they have buckets on them and they can lift up the ocean water and drop it on the um, fire, uh, your houses are going to go. So he looked at me and he said, you should go home and get ready to evacuate. And I was like, wow. This is, this is my day for my retreat. It was really, it was so bad. It was funny, right? But it turned out to a day, to be a day that I had, I talked with so many neighbors and there was so much going on. Uh, but it was also very um, profound and poignant. It's like to come home and, and say, okay, how much time do we have? Like, um, first thing you get are a few little things and you put it in the car and then you're like well is there time to get a few other things and well we're in lockdown where are we going to stay well camp you know get a few other things um and then it was like fine ready go back and look and uh, the bulldozers came just in time it was amazing they just managed to do it and the the fire captain came and he was all upset that the um paths that these bulldozers made weren't wide enough, but I could tell that um, these people were just trying to make the breaks, the fire breaks, and then they came back and made them wider, and then the, the helicopters were, the, the guys running this one helicopter, it was so, it looked like this beautiful art where the, go and get the water out of the ocean and dump it perfectly, and uh, it's, it's kind of like how all of us feel about all the kindnesses that have been happening. That's the most predominant thing that you all wrote was about kindness and how um, people coming together and helping. Uh, and this was how that day felt with all the neighbors. And uh, I was so moving, really. Uh, very memorable. And the fire started up two more times in the next weeks because there were roots of trees that were smoldering that weren't seen. And again, everybody coming together and helping out. It was very moving. I wanted to give that example because that's an example again of the hard interpretation of anicca, of impermanence. It was so sudden. It can be so destructive. We were so fortunate. You can feel this with the pandemic 
almost everyone wrote how fortunate they have felt and how um, have had friends die or know people who have died or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, helping people get food and um, the caring, caring about pain, caring about suffering and the taking care of ourselves and others, the goodness of that um, is a form of loving kindness and makes life worth living. So very, very, very important. So this kindness softens the heart. And that softening of the heart, which most people described in in your answers to questions, that softening of the heart helps us to be with things as they are, over and over again, to come back to that truth, that the kindness is what softens the heart. And that softening of the heart allows us to really be with these three characteristics of existence and the the exquisite vulnerability that we all share. It's like that if we can step back and, and, and be with our humanity, but also all beings, all beings who take birth, experience that these three birth, these three truths of existence, this exquisite vulnerability, that we never know what's going to happen. And this, this sensitivity to the truth of how things are that makes us all so vulnerable, we are usually taught to hate it, to hate that experience, to have aversion to it, whereas it is probably the deepest, most profound aspect of nature itself. And so one practice at this time is to be able to simply notice when the attention is afraid or angry or, you know, blaming, blaming others, blaming ourselves, you know, sad. It's like to really get that when we're on lockdown physically or safe at home practices that we're all doing um, on retreat, it's meant that we're unlocking the heart or softening the heart getting out of the prison of lockdown inwardly. And we might feel a lot more intensity of emotion than ever. We might feel the grief we haven't been able to feel for the last few months because we're taking more time to be quiet. And it's okay. It's, le- it's letting, these, letting go of the control and just, sometimes I just walk around with this kind of wordless sadness. I call it abiding in wordless sadness. And I love it. I just, it feels so connected with everybody on the planet. And it's impermanent. It just comes and goes. That's okay. And just feeling that then just vulnerable again, that never again this moment, coming back to the breath, to the hands, to the feet, to the kindness again and again. It's always just remembering to come back back from being lost in thought. Where are we? What time is it? 8.45. So I'm going to try to wrap it up here. Um, 
the last, I just want to mention one more thing, which is that support of nature that all of you mentioned, which, you know, I have a um, cardinal bird that hangs out on the telephone wire near my house. Uh, and during this last few months, early morning, you know, this cardinal comes down and greets me and sings. And um, these, are, these friends are so important. They help, again, they help us um, get through these difficult times. And they are friends. So just to remember to, um, it could be it's a cat, a dog, a bird, but to, to keep that relationship with other beings as well as the human and feel that support. Um, yeah, I had a few more things. Let me just, okay. Yep. So um, now chanting is going to happen in about 13 minutes, maybe 14 minutes. It's a wonderful day to quiet down and um, move into going to sleep after the chanting. Or if you're in Hawaii, of course, (laughs) going into getting ready for dinner. So wherever you are, maybe California, but um, just for those East Coast people, uh, we're doing the chanting now so that you can start shifting into um, the sweetness of sweet dreams. And then Darine will greet you in the morning. Uh, I will do the instructions and then Jesse the Dhamma talk. So have a great retreat. Lots of metta. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.